We have been teaching a series across our church these last few weeks on our vision and our values. We've been talking about what it is to know Christ and make Him known, what it is to live out our values as a church, because how we do what we do matters too. As we live out love, truth, freedom, family, and others. But I actually believe with all my heart that the message I'm sharing on today is perhaps the most important message out of all of these. I believe that what I'm about to share about is simple but not easy, and there's a difference. And I believe it's profoundly important because what I'm sharing on today is really the crux of everything. And that is today I'm going to share about what it is to follow Jesus. We often say as a church that, that there's three things we hope for every person who calls Liberty Church home. You could call it our mission if you like. Our mission is that every person who calls Liberty Church home would follow Jesus, thrive in community, and make a difference. But the essence, the crux, the beginning of everything, the foundation of it all is what I'm sharing on today, and that is to follow Jesus. And if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to go with me to Matthew chapter 4. We'll have it on screen uh, for those who don't. Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to read from verses 18 to 25. I've been studying my way through the Gospels of late, and when I got to this part in Matthew, even though I'd read it many times, one of the wonders of Scripture is that no matter how many times you read it, if you read it again, open mind, open heart, if you, if you read it with the posture of leaning into what God is saying in every season, you can always find new things, even in familiar passages. And for me, I was circling, I was underlining, I've written up the columns like a madman. I mean, I've scribbled all over this passage. It came alive for me, and really the essence of it is what it is to follow Jesus. In the NIV, the heading is Jesus calls his first disciples. Matthew 4, verse 18, it says, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. There's that phrase again, and followed him. And it says in verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them all. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region of across the Jordan followed him, followed him. Again and again and again in this passage, we see people first, individuals, and then crowds of people choosing to follow Jesus. And some words jumped out at me as I read this passage. I noticed phrases like, at once and immediately. At once, they dropped their nets and followed him. Immediately, they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. There was something so compelling 
in the invitation of Jesus, the invitation to follow him, that on the spot, people decided to follow Jesus. You know, sometimes we notice what is in Scripture, but we should also notice what isn't there. Isn't it amazing how little dialogue we have? They're making these massive, life-altering decisions with like a sentence from Jesus. (laughs) That's incredible to me how little is really said. There's hardly any dialogue. I mean, where's the explanation? Where's the mission statement, the brief, the five-year plan? Where's the job descriptions? Like, how's this going to end? How does this play out? Where's the guarantees or the big promise? Nothing. Hardly a word. And yet, on the spot, something compels them. Something motivates and drives them to follow Jesus. It says Peter and Andrew, they just left their nets. If you think about it, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but understand their context, that's their livelihood. Their nets are their business. They tend those nets every day. That's how they raise money. That's how they feed their family. They basically quit their jobs, is how it could translate. They walked out on their businesses without even locking the door. They just left them. Some other guys probably walking along like, happy day, my prayers have been answered. You know, just nets lying there. How did this happen? You know, (laughs) they just left. James and John, it says they leave their boat and their father. How does dad feel about this? We don't know. Poor Zebedee, I don't know, for all we know, he's been training the boys one day, this business will be yours, and he's teaching them the craft, and next thing the boys are like, we love you, Dad, but we're out of here. Like, no warning, let us leave the boat and Dad. And you notice, by the way, what Jesus doesn't do is stop by the local synagogue and, and pick apprentice rabbis. He doesn't stop by the the, uh, seminary and pick the next generation of up-and-coming preachers and pastors. No, he walks on the lakeshore. I'll pick these four business guys. See, Jesus amazes me in the way that he calls people. And Jesus will work with anyone and anything that's willing to follow him. Amen? What does he say? Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. That's what he says to the first brothers. Follow me, and I'll send you out. Follow me, and I'll send you out. What does that mean? Well, it means there's a sense of a greater purpose that's happening here. It's not only an opportunity to follow Jesus, but in following him, there's going to be some adventure. It's going to lead to some sense of calling, a mission, um, attached to some greater purpose for my life. And then what comes as a result of that, as it says, Jesus goes through the region teaching and proclaiming and healing, teaching and proclaiming, proclaiming because there's good news to share. He's teaching, he's shouting good news, and he's healing people. That's Jesus' ministry, teaching, proclaiming, healing. But Jesus is doing all the ministry. You notice that? It's Jesus that's teaching, Jesus that's proclaiming, and Jesus that's healing. At least it is in the beginning. These four new disciples are following him. Jesus is doing all the ministry, but there would come a time as they followed him that he'd begin to get them involved in the work. In fact, there'd come a time when he would be sending them out to preach. There would even come a time when he would ascend to the Father and leave the ministry in their hands. But it would be later that they were mobilized. Some followed him at first in this passage. Then the miracles come, and by the end of it, it says, from all across Syria, large crowds of people now are following Jesus. What begins with a trickle becomes a flood. And in the middle, what is it? Miracles. Miracles. Some follow him. Miracles multiply. Many follow him. 
That's what happens when you follow Jesus. Signs and wonders, miracles and multiplication come when we follow Him. So listen, I want to share with you five things today that I think we ought to consider when it comes to our own journey and what it means to follow Him. Because I think we are at great risk today in our modern following of Jesus to oversimplify what it means to follow Him. To oversimplify what it is to follow Him. And maybe to consider that just by the sheer act of being here today, of course, by definition, I follow Him. I'm in church. Well, that's a good start. But I tell you, there's a whole lot more to it than that. Can I get an amen this morning? A whole lot more to it than that. So the first thing I want to share with you is this, is number one, we follow Jesus and He prepares us for our destiny. We follow Jesus and He prepares us for our destiny. I got good news for you, church. I got good news for you on Liberty Live this morning. You have a destiny. You have a purpose. You have a calling. You have a mission. You have an adventure to experience with Jesus. You have a reason for being on this earth. And this is so important. And it's in following Jesus that you are prepared to accomplish that mission. Having a mission, having a calling, having a destiny does not in and of itself mean it automatically comes to pass. Do we understand that? No, it's in our journey of following Him that He takes the raw materials of our life. And granted, the raw materials were given to you with that destiny in mind. Your gifts and your talents, some of your life experiences and your personality. Yeah, God made you for that purpose, shaped you with that purpose in mind. Yes, but you know, it does not just automatically come to pass. No, it's in our following of Jesus. And frankly, as we are shaped into His likeness, as we become more like Him, we are shaped to be effective in our calling. You know, we say follow Jesus, thriving community, Make a difference in that order. Why? Well, because it all starts with following Jesus. And frankly, I think oftentimes in our modern, Western, 21st century Christianity, many of us far too quickly will want to jump right to make a difference. Give me a cause. I want to change the world. And I've got no argument with that. Amen to making a dent in the universe, Steve Jobs. Amen to that. But do you understand that it's in our following of Jesus that we are shaped to be effective in order to fulfill that destiny? Effectiveness comes when we learn to follow Him and then allow it to be Him that sends us out. Man, has my lesson in recent years been to understand the difference between what and when? Anyone else with me? Has anyone else discovered that it is not nearly such a blessing when we do the right thing at the wrong time? which usually is a result of me having a revelation of destiny, but not following Jesus long enough or letting Him decide when the time is right. It's not only the blessing that it could have been. It's a little bit more like, ready, fire, aim. <laughs> That's been a lot of my following Jesus. Oh, whoops, that didn't work out so well. Oh, it was the aiming. Yeah, yeah, that's Jesus is supposed to direct you and correct you and channel all that enthusiasm, Paul, while you're out there. Kind of like, you know, I'm on a mission. Awesome. Who for? Jesus. What's the mission? I don't know. But I'm pumped up. I'm excited about something. And I'm hoping I'll get further instructions on the way. All right. 
Guilty as charged, right? Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Or as he put it in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, key, Jesus appointed the 12, that's the disciples, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Be with him, be sent out to preach. If we skip over the be with him, we're not equipped for the be sent out to preach. If you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus does pretty much everything in the beginning. It's all be with him, be with him, be with him. But there comes a time, amen? But he's a training and he's equipping, he's readying them. The disciples weren't brought in on day one and sent out on day two. It didn't work that way. But as we follow him, we by definition go where he goes. Where's Jesus going? What's Jesus doing? If I'm following Jesus, I'm going to be wherever he is. What's he doing in New York City today? I ought to be going where he's going and doing what he's doing. I've spent way too much of my Christian life praying prayers that basically amounted to, God, here's what I'm doing. Can you please bless it and be part of it? Instead of praying, God, what are you doing? And how can I be a part of that, (laughs) right? His blessing's already on that. I already know by definition that's His will. I could spend a little less time trying to work out if what I'm doing is His will, if I just made whatever I'm doing, what He's doing. Does that sound like a good plan? That would simplify Christianity greatly for me if I spent more time just following Jesus. What's He doing today? What's He about? What's He working at in my circumstances or in the world around me? I want to see what He sees. I want to do what He does. I want to go where He goes. And frankly, that's one of the reasons why it's so important that we gather together as the church is because this is where oftentimes he shapes and equips us to follow him. In fact, as we unpack what it means to follow Jesus, thrive in community, and make a difference behind each one of those things is one primary way we do that as a church. For us, we equip people to follow Jesus here on Sunday. That's not to say that we hope you only follow Jesus here on Sunday. You know, this is an equipping moment, but the following is not what we boil down to an hour and a quarter or so on a Sunday. No, no, no. No, this is the training ground. This is the equipping place that we would follow Him from Sunday to Sunday in every circumstance of our lives. That's why we gather. Maybe people here would follow Jesus for the very first time even today. Surrender their life to Him. Acknowledge their need of Him. Ask for Jesus to be Lord and Savior of their life. But you know, it doesn't end there. We'll talk about this more a little later in the message, but that's not the end of following Jesus. It's not just a one-time thing. No, in every situation, in every season, I follow Him. And because I've decided to follow Jesus, there are some decisions that have just been made up for me in advance. I'm kind of glad I don't have to wake up every Sunday anymore deciding, will I follow Jesus? Will I be in His house today? I don't mean this in any kind of a legalistic way or condemnation or whatever. I don't have to check the weather app. I don't have to check whether the MTA is conspiring against me because they almost always are on Sunday, making it hard for us to be in God's house. Right? The truth is I don't have to make that decision fresh every Sunday because I already decided where I was going to be. And yes, I take vacations. And yes, I know that can sound condemning and legalistic. And that's not my heart. My point is rain or hail, you know, because for, you know, for, for some, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's raining. I'm going to stay away. It's sunny. I'm going to stay away. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's like there's always a reason, right? There's always a reason why the weather is not quite right. Mind you, two weeks ago, I'm preaching in Montreal and in driving snow, I mean, literally up to my knees in snow, hundreds of people in church. I was like, come on, I need more of that in my life. Amen. 
My mind is made up. I'll be in his house. We've got a destiny to fulfill. We've got a calling and a higher purpose. In fact, John 14, verse 12, Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Even greater things than these. Man. Because Jesus gave his life, because Jesus conquered death and ascended to the Father, because Jesus intercedes, prays day and night for you and I at the throne, because Jesus going meant the Holy Spirit coming, because we've received power to be his witnesses now throughout the earth, that we have the same power that raised Christ Jesus is now alive and working in us. You and I are actually empowered to live that promise that we could do even greater things. Man, what a mission that is to live up to. What an adventure that sounds like, because Jesus did some pretty extraordinary things. We? <laughs> I think we're in agreement on that, and yet he calls us into even greater things. So number one, we follow Jesus, and he prepares us for our destiny. Number two, this is so important, we follow Jesus, and that's a life change, not just a label change. It's a life change to follow Jesus. It's not just a label change. You know, for some, it's easy to reduce Christianity down to just the box I would check on a census or a religion survey, right? For some, we can, we can reduce following Jesus maybe down to just praying a prayer and accepting His saving work as our redemption. Now, yes and amen to that. I'm not negating the power of that, but that is not the sum total of what it is to follow Jesus, no argument here on that's eternal significance. Yes, crossing from death into life, from darkness to light. Yes and amen to all of that. But that is not, that's not where following Jesus ends. That's where following Jesus just starts. To follow Jesus is not merely to add him to my life, like another option on my menu, right? To follow Jesus, it's so much more than that. No, it's not just adding Jesus to my life. It's giving him my life, all of my life, all of who I am. Yeah, the earliest followers of Jesus weren't called Christians at all. The, the word Christian came later. In fact, most historians believe the word Christian was originally a derogatory term. It was a put-down to be called a Christian in the beginning. You know what they were actually called? They were called the followers of the way. The followers of the way. What does that tell you? Well, it tells you, it implies a few things. That phrase, the way not a way, the way, the way of Jesus, followers of the way, it suggests a few things to me. One is it implies this sense of journey, which we're speaking to, but it also implies a pattern of living, that Jesus had showed the way. The way of Jesus was a pattern for life. So in other words, to be a follower of the way could not, by definition, could not be just a label. It couldn't be just theoretical. You were defined as a follower of the way by the way that you lived. You lived in the way, the way of Jesus. It's a pattern, a way of living based and modeled on the life of Jesus Christ. He modeled the way, the way of humility, the way of courage, the way of grace, the way of sacrifice, the way of integrity, the way of service. There's a pattern to the way of Jesus. So that means being a true follower of Jesus cannot be purely theoretical. It cannot, you know, be purely philosophical or intellectual. And there's nothing wrong with those things, right? 
I, I believe in an intelligent faith. Yes and amen to that. But it, it, it needs to manifest itself in the way that I actually live my life. Because no matter what labels people put on themselves or however they identify themselves, the definition of a Christian is the person who lives in the way that Jesus lived. That's what it actually is, to follow him. Jesus put it this way in John 8, 31. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So just think on that for a minute. That must have been a really uncomfortable statement that he made because he made it to a group of people who were all around him at the time and maybe thought just by virtue of being there within his hearing were, of course, his disciples. I mean, here we are. Like, we're hanging out with you, Jesus. Here we are, if you could put it this way. We're in church. Of course we are your disciples. And then Jesus draws this distinction. He says, well, if you hold to my teaching. In other words, if you live in the way I'm patterning for you, if you live in the way that I'm calling you to live, that's what it is to be my disciple. And there's no condemnation with that church because, of course, there's not a one of us that lives in that way perfectly. This is not about condemnation. This is about a daily decision, though, to model my life after his. Just the very fact that Jesus had to distinguish, distinguish who was really his disciples implies that there were some who thought they were and who, in fact, at that moment were not his disciples. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 and 17, it says, He, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And then in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Did you hear that? Does anything about that sound like you could reduce that down to a label change? Or just another identity I add to the bag of things who I think I am. I also add, I am also a Christian amongst many other things that I think I am. No, 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 no. this is so much deeper. He's saying if, if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. It's, in other words, it's a radical life change, which is why Jesus said astounding things, like what he said to Nicodemus, that to be born again, it's a radical change of life, not just a label change. I was, for years of my early life, a classic label Christian. <laughs> like, classic. My, my family were not really church-going people. Well, we were CEO Christians, you know, Christmas and Easter-only Christians, and uh, and we would go once or twice a year. That was like our best effort. We felt very committed then. My parents sent me to a Christian school because that's what their parents did for them. I went to a Christian school. We had chapel every week. We had a little, you know, beautiful little chapel in suburban Sydney where I grew up, stained glass windows, hymns that we would change all the words to because we were trying to be funny because that's what you do. No connection at all with what's going on. I did religious studies. I wrote great papers about Jesus and about Christianity. In fact, I knew enough about Jesus and was, you know, interested enough in, in all the different teachings that he had that I somehow managed to wiggle myself into running the school Christian group. True story. I said, hey, I want to, can I, give me the seventh grade. I'm going to run, and it was called Crusaders, which just side note is a terrible name for a school Christian group. Is there any, any of us in any way want to be associated with what happened during the Crusades? For the love. What were we thinking? Anyway, the Crusaders and, uh, I ran the school Christian group. We had more seventh graders in my group than the whole rest of the school put together. I guess that's the grace of God and the raw materials of my future calling. Here's what's terrifying about that. I didn't know Jesus. I had no relationship with God. I had never voluntarily gone to church. 
<laughs> insert nervous laughter here as I look back. I think it's only the grace of God because it doesn't fit my theology that some of the guys who were in the group I ran are in full-time ministry today, serving the Lord after being led by a person who didn't know Jesus and only actually met Jesus because the chaplain forced me to go to church and the rest is history. Here I am. I was the first in my immediate family to really know Jesus, follow Jesus, and it was transformative for my whole family. But how terrifying to think now as I look back that I was, I was like the quintessential candidate for that awful day in eternity where Jesus would say, depart from me, I never knew you. And I would have been one of the ones saying, wait a minute, I did all that stuff and missed the point. I don't even know if I knew you could know him. That's a lot of news and knows. I don't even know if I knew you could know him. Yeah, I said that, right? I don't even think I knew that was a possibility, that I could have a relationship with God, that I could follow him, that I could not only know about Jesus, but I could know him for myself. Jesus. He's the defining line. You notice, by the way, we don't just say, believe in God is our mission, because frankly, there are so many understandings of what God is, many lowercase g, right? (laughs) But many people have their God or their gods, but Jesus has always been and will always be a beautiful dividing line, the way, the truth, and the life. We follow Jesus. That's what it's all about. Number three is we follow Jesus, not people. We follow Jesus, not people. I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I am not a disciple of any other person. And maybe this sounds like this point doesn't need to be made, but sometimes it's an area where the, the church can get into error because following Jesus, by definition, means not following anyone else. Now, caveat. Look, I'm a man in authority, and I'm a man under authority. So that means I can be pastored. I can be led. I can be corrected. I can be challenged. I can be encouraged by the right people in my life. No argument there. But that is not the same thing as me being some person's disciple. I'm Jesus' disciple. He is my Lord and my Savior. I'm no one's disciple. In fact, if anyone in our church ever came up to me and said, I'm your disciple, I would freak out right there on the spot. If I walked by and heard a conversation where somebody's like, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm Paul's disciple. I, I would have a meltdown. I would have a meltdown in that moment because, hey, nobody should be my disciple. No, no, no. We are Jesus' disciples. Now, if I can help introduce you to Him, happy to. If I can be a voice of encouragement or correction or direction in your moment as I lead you to Him, yes and amen to that. But this is the way the the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11. He's writing to the church he started in Corinth, and they went down this path. Brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's house have informed me there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. Anyone see what's wrong with this situation here? Was Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? This is Paul writing, mind you. Was Paul crucified? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He is freaking out because people have missed the point and they've made it about humans and not about Jesus. I'm all for leadership in the church. Yes and amen to that. Structure and order, yes and amen to that. But boy, do we have to be careful. We don't make ourselves the goal. Boy, do we have to be careful. We don't make ourselves the focus. I am not discipling anyone to me. I am a signpost, people. That's what I am. 
I am blessed to be a signpost. I am a jar of clay that happens to contain valuable treasure. That's who I am. He took me from the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. And I'm privileged to hold a leadership responsibility. I'm privileged to have a leadership in this place. But what does that mean? I am a signpost. Now, it matters where I point because I can lead people the wrong way. But that's about my primary responsibility is is to be. I, I decrease and he increases. I'm pointing people to Jesus. Otherwise, if I'm, if I'm at somebody's disciple and they leave, if I'm somebody's disciple and they go off course or they get weird, then I might give up on my faith. I might lose my way. I might even get discouraged. That's not what we see in the life of Jesus. When Jesus discipled his 12, you know, only one of them died of old age, natural causes. So Judas, he took his own life. He betrayed Jesus and filled with remorse. Of the 11 that are left, only John, as far as we know, lives to a ripe old age. All the others give their lives. Does that sound like people who lost the plot when Jesus went to heaven? Does that sound like people who freaked out, like, oh, no, we don't know what to do now? No, Jesus had raised them in such a way that it's almost like they became more committed in the way to follow Jesus. I think it'd be a tragedy for me if if I was you know, taken up to heaven tomorrow and people that I was investing into lost the plot, lost their way, stopped following Jesus, that would not be a testimony to, whoa, what a great leader he must have been. That would be a sign that I had missed the mark. Amen? And I get that the role of leadership is vital. Yes and amen to that. But I'm a signpost. I am sure not anyone's savior. Amen? Number four, we follow Jesus and miracles follow us. We follow Jesus. This is good news, church. We follow Jesus and miracles follow us. You know, Jesus' ministry is overwhelmingly what you could call power evangelism. There's different ways of evangelizing, sharing the gospel with people. But overwhelmingly, Jesus, it's the miracles that spoke to the crowds. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He sets people free. And I don't know if it just piques their interest in the beginning or if it just speaks to them so powerfully or they hear this testimony. But next thing, they're around Jesus, they're following Him, and they're believing in Him. It's in some ways a contrast to our modern version of evangelism that so often is very heady. A lot of rational, a lot of argument, a lot of thinking and debating. And there's a place for that, of course. I believe for you to have an intelligent and well-founded faith. But man, there's power in miracles too, people. And the good news is that he's still alive and he still does miracles today. I love that sometimes the thing that shuts down the senseless arguments that can be, because there's constructive arguments and then the not so constructive side, you know. And, and what so often moves the conversation in a constructive direction is when God shows up and does something that doesn't fit anybody's arguments. Amen. Matthew, uh, no, Mark chapter 16, verses 16 to 18, it says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Listen. And these signs will follow those who believe. These signs will follow those who believe. And it goes on to speak about casting out demons, speaking in new tongues, taking up serpents, which I don't necessarily advise, even though it's in the Bible. Uh, Laying on hands on the sick and they shall recover. Amen. Miracles. Following those who believe. Little side thought here for a minute. Notice that the believers aren't following the miracles. The miracles are following them. Sometimes we can get into this kind of version of following Jesus where we're always chasing the miracles. Where's the new move of God? Oh, they got a, they got a cool thing happening over here. They got a guest speaker over there. They, I heard they had miracles over here and we're chasing the miracles. No, if you're following Jesus, it's supposed to be the other way around. It's supposed to be signs following you, those who are 
believe. I, that's why I'm so excited, by the way, about our uh, encounter night coming up this week. I'm believing we've created a space for an encounter with the living God where we're going to believe for miracles in people's lives. We're going to have extended worship and times of prayer. We're going to lay hands on the sick. I don't even know what's going to happen. That's half the fun of it. It's not all programmed and buttoned down. No, we've created a space, a time to go be with God and let Him do His will, have His way with that space. Because we believe miracles ought to follow us. Amen? This is how the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In verse 4 and 5, he says this. Actually, let me start it up in verse 1. He says, So it was with me, brothers and sisters, that when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message... And my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with what? A demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And he's a wise guy. He's an incredibly learned man, if you know his story. I mean, he's like one of the smartest of the religious elite of his day, but he was on the other side persecuting. He was like a Pharisee of Pharisees. He has this radical conversion. I mean, it's not as if his is a simple faith or a faith without intelligence, but he's put all of that aside. said, so I came to you like with fear and trembling because I didn't want you to base your faith on my human wisdom. I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit and His power, signs and wonders following those who believe. Number five is we follow Jesus, and that's a journey, not just a decision. It's a journey, not just a decision when we follow Jesus. It's a journey, not just a destination, perhaps, is another way of putting it. The way. It's so much more than just a place that we're trying to get to. It's about following because it's about a journey. It begins with a decision. Yes. Oh, man. That powerful decision. I'm going to give people an opportunity to make that decision, recommit to that decision in just a moment. To follow Jesus. It's a powerful decision to surrender our life and invite what He did on the cross, His blood, His body broken for us as payment for our sin. Amen to that. It begins with a decision, but that's not where it ends. That's just where it begins. Amen? That's just where the journey starts. It's like this daily decision. Back in the 90s, we, we said a lot, when I was first following Jesus, people were always talking about what would Jesus do? It's kind of a clever idea in a sense. It's an old idea that's been around, but it kind of had a revival. And the idea was you were supposed to think in every situation, what would Jesus do here? What would Jesus do? You know, in this situation, facing this temptation, having a setback, confusing times, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Actually, I had a friend who uh, was a manager at a Christian bookshop, one of the biggest Christian retailers in Australia at the time. And I remember him sharing that uh, they had a theft problem at their Christian bookshops. Major shoplifting, theft issue, and the number one most stolen item was the WWJD bracelet. Does the irony of that strike anyone else in this place is that the number one most stolen item at a Christian bookshop would be a bracelet designed to make you ask the question, what would Jesus do? 
I would contend he wouldn't have stolen the bracelet in the first place. <laughs> and uh, if you find yourself there, what would Jesus do now? Well, at least replace it, take it back, pay for it, do something. For crying out loud, I just always found that so ironic. What would Jesus do? <laughs> Acts 2.42, this is what it looks like when we follow him, when we commit to this journey. It says, they devoted themselves. I love that phrase. They devoted themselves. I want to contrast this with the idea that following Jesus is just some one-time decision that I make, and then I go back to business as usual. Some kind of one-time decision that I make, and then I keep on living life my own way. No, no, contrast that with what the early followers of the way did. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They followed Him. They followed Him. They followed Him. How did I end up being the lead pastor of Liberty Church in New York City? I mean, I literally ask myself that question sometimes. How did I get here? Well, I'll tell you the short answer is this. In 1990, I made the life-changing decision to follow Jesus. And for 27 years, I just kept following him. It's pretty much what it came down to. How I am here today and doing what I'm doing today is I made a decision to follow Jesus and then I kept following him. Now, you're called in all likelihood, to something completely else, some other destiny, some other purpose, some other mission to be fulfilled on the earth. How are you going to get there? Well, the short answer is follow Jesus and keep on following Him. Amen? Put one foot in front of the other. I followed Him when I was hurt. I followed Him when I was confused. I followed Him on mountaintop seasons and I followed Him in valley seasons. I followed him when I was confused. I followed him when I didn't know what was going on. I followed him when I got burned out. I followed him through hardship. I followed him through setbacks in every season. Amen. I followed him in being a dad, a son, a brother, a husband, a father. In every role, I follow him. What's it mean to follow Jesus as I'm a son, as I'm a brother, as I'm a pastor? How do I follow Jesus as I'm a friend? In New York City, how do I follow him right here? And right now, we follow Him. Does the worship team come join me? I've talked a lot about following Jesus. Let, let me give you one encouraging scripture, too, before we pray. In all the right ways, you're being followed, too. Listen to this. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a cool thought that as we follow Him, you know what's following you? Man, the Bible promises that as you follow Him, goodness and love follow you all the days of your life. God is for you. And a beautiful thought. God is for you. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. He's on your side. You're more than a conqueror. It's a beautiful thing to follow Jesus. And I'll tell you this, it changes everything. 
Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.